I think the next wave of disruption and where we're going to see technologies really having an impact in the industry is the topic of DLT. I'm very concerned, and I hope I'm wrong, that a major public cloud will be commandeered by a cybercrime cartel. You can't talk about future without talking about AI, and it's not just the future, that's actually now. Welcome to Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, our podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT before joining VMware. It's summertime, and even the hardest working among us needs an occasional holiday. So, rather than Brian and I chatting with a new guest on this episode, Brian's taking a well-deserved week off to sun himself in Mallorca, well, or somewhere closer to home that he can get to. Uh, And I'm at home self-isolating with my family and trying to cheer myself up by listening back on some of our past episodes and specifically looking at our crystal ball and uh, to try and make some predictions about game changers for the year and the years ahead. We're going to hear what some of our fabulous guests have had to say in the past few months on this subject. And as you know, on every episode, we ask a guest to make a prediction about what will be important from their perspective in the world of financial services over the next few years. Their answers have ranged from intriguing to pretty scary. So let me cue up our crystal ball music here and let's have a listen to what some of our guests have said and what they have on their radar. I see the future. Really? Well, what do you have, a crystal ball? What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you've got to tell me. Okay, so I'm going to start with the scariest first. A few months back, we talked with global security expert Tom Kellerman. His vision of the near future is one to really take note of. I'm very concerned, and I hope I'm wrong, that a major public cloud will be commandeered by a cybercrime cartel. And that environment will be used to not only attack their customers, but when there is a response, a collective response from the public cloud and the government to eradicate the footprint of the adversary, that same public cloud will begin to issue, uh, deploy destructive malware and destructive attacks against all members of that community. So that's pretty serious stuff. What can you do to protect against that? Look, not all clouds are equal. Not all clouds are as secure as they should be. Frankly, hybrid cloud computing is more secure um, than public cloud. Fact. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I did. When it comes to public cloud security, though, in general, workload security and assuring that you have best of breed workload security is an imperative, as well as obviously having the capacity to secure and protect containers as they represent the future of the environment. And that that is something that we've invested heavily in here at VMware. And uh, we are continuing to uh, move that ball forward and try to evolve. Well, I'm just thinking solid state's making a comeback. I guess that's part of the problem, though, isn't it? There's just so much data now. How do you back it all up? Actually, last time there, you said, yeah, don't worry about that because the criminals went for the backup first, right? They do now. The ransomware gangs, because everyone knows that the way that you defeat ransomware is you just let it ransom and then you back it up from the backups. They target the backups first. They don't actually encrypt anything. Then they move laterally from the backup systems throughout the organization. They take any kind of sensitive information that's there and then they lock you up. And the reason why they do that, they want double extortion. What I mean by that is they come after you a second time saying that they're going to dox you or release your sensitive documents to the press and to the public. And many times they actually know who your regulator is and they, they threaten you with releasing that to your regulator. Okay, deep breath, everyone. Uh, I love working with Tom and hope to have him back again soon. Talk about the strategies that we can, that we can take to, to make the criminals focus elsewhere. So staying on security for a little longer, though, 
This time, our guest was Chris Wolfe. Chris is Vice President of the Advanced Technology Group in the office of the CTO here at VMware. And he has some really interesting ideas about ways we can protect to guard ourselves against the kinds of threats that Tom was talking about. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about security, because this is certainly close to heart for folks in financial services. I think the work we're doing around modular cryptography is super important. There's additional work we're doing in an area we call rogue asset detection. And why that matters is when you look at whether it's uh, take branch institutions, for example, you don't always have full control in terms of what's being connected to those networks. Sometimes it's a local line of business or a branch manager that's making decisions irrespective of IT and sometimes irrespective of corporate policy. It's people just trying to solve problems in their locales, right? This happens across all industries. And the result of it is at the end of the day, there's often lots of things connecting to networks that IT has no administrative access to. It's there, but they don't really know what to do with it and they can't control it. And there's always been this huge tug of war about, well, IT just needs to gain control of everything. But if anything, people should be just accepting the fact that it's just not practical today. There's too many innovations that are being sold directly to lines of business. And those lines of business are under pressure to grow their businesses and be successful. So they don't always just want to partner directly with IT or get IT's permission before they do things. So things are just happening too quickly. That traditional model of trying to bet everything through IT just doesn't scale. And we want to get there at some point. But in reality, you just can't always try to create barriers for your lines of business to innovate. So how does this tie into rogue asset detection? It ties in because what we want to be able to do is be able to quickly discover new systems and not shut them down, but make them more secure, even though we don't have any admin access to them. And, and that's, that is, is super innovative and something that I think is going to be really important for a lot of organizations. When we talk even outside of financial services, there's organizations that have in some cases, zero control of the technologies that are being deployed at their edge sites. They have no control whatsoever. It's 100% line of business. So how can you expect some degree of chaos? Instead of just trying to force outright control, I need to design systems with the expectation of some chaos and just accept it. So if we start to discover these rogue systems and now dynamically place east-west firewalling around them to protect my other corporate systems and protect them as well in a way that is non-intrusive to them, non-intrusive to my lines of business, right? that's allowing your business to work with far more velocity and agility and doing it in a way that's much safer than you have in the past. So that's an area that I'm really excited about. Hopefully come the VMworld timeframe, we'll be talking much more about that in depth. But yeah, we're doing a lot in security. And again, we, we have to think more dynamically because the threats we face are, are super dynamic, right? So the solutions to solving these problems and in terms of a constantly evolving, highly dynamic security threat is my solutions need to be more dynamic than the threats we face. And that's what we're working on. So we had Tom Kellerman on last week recording his podcast. And I think you've summarized and echoed you know, a lot that Tom came, Tom was talking about in terms of the increasing nature of the threats, the dynamic uh, nature of them and the velocity of those threats. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, seemed very joined up, right? Uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, well, there's a need. There's a need. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think um, this is an area where in FS, obviously the regulator looking over the shoulders, you can't afford a failure. The business needs to make them more agile. And so there's like an opening things up, yet still controlling. So this this feels like it's a very much of a allowing one whilst not taking your eye off the other, right? That's it. We, we In IT, we need to be less idealistic and more pragmatic at the end of the day. And this is a means to that end. 
Okay, so less idealistic and more pragmatic and some fantastic advice there. Now, on to multi-industry CIO Bask Ayer. Bask tells us what's a trend he thinks is no more than talk and what will really change things up in financial services. Yeah, I, I think it's one and the same for me in a way. I mean, I, I don't think this is all just talk. Blockchain, right? A lot of talk. The thing we know about blockchain is it's a solution waiting for a problem. The solution, absolutely, tech works extremely well. And, you know, I, crypto, people immediately go into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. You got to forget people that have opinions. And I don't have an opinion one way or the other on cryptocurrency, but the technology behind cryptocurrency absolutely works, right? And the distributed ledger absolutely works. So I think what, to me, it feels like what is missing is not technology there. Technology arrived 10 years, five years too soon. And you know, even VMware has the tech for that. But what is the application? So we need some dreamers in financial services to say, why are we struggling with maintaining ledgers and data and you know, establishing this trust, et cetera. So I think that to me didn't quite answer your question that, that I feel like the technology's arrived, but a lot of hype is being made about it. And there are very, very few people thinking about the use cases. And it's just going to require some people who are creative enough to say, trust the tech, don't worry about, learn, don't worry about inventing or writing the tech. You know, we, people like us have already written it for you. What is the use case? How would I apply this if I had this tech? So that's one. The, the big thing for financial services, again, I believe is uh, there's several of them I see, and, I, and I'm not a financial services expert, so I may be dead right or dead wrong. So let me just go with that. I, I'm on a you know, board of a fintech company. And the way the fintech, the small companies look, are just amazingly different than how a traditional bank looks. So one of the things I actually recommend our clients is, uh, is to spend a little bit of time or be like a angel investor or get on some advisories of these companies, et cetera, because their learning is just incredible that they, they're dreaming up the impossible things and, and doing it incredibly well. But I think edge computing was hyped up a few years ago. I think it's time is coming right now for branches and people have to look at branch automation in a thoughtful way. Right. I mean, so because the branches have to function, even even if the cloud is not functioning, the speed has to be there. It has to be in remote places, especially places like where I am right now. You can't shut it down just because the cloud is not available or internet is you know access is bad. So I think the edge computing application is uh, is uh, really here to stay, and we just have to explore that a lot more. The banks and then work 2.0 is going to revolutionize a lot of banks. You know, I I know some of our clients. The number one thing is to reduce cost for them. And they're trying to move geographies. They're trying to move people to other locations, et cetera, in a dramatic effort to cut costs. And one thing, obviously, looking right now is I'm able to work from a hospital right now and pretty much have my one-on-one -on -one meeting, video conferencing, meeting customers, et cetera, in the other part of the world. So this is a good time to creatively look at all these, uh, you know, workplace automation solutions, making it easy for employees to work from home and providing that kind of experiences without spending all this money on real estate and branding and other kind of things that we did before. We heard a bit on blockchain there from Basque. That topic also comes up when we talked with Alison Krill. Um, Alison's the chief technology officer of the exchange operator Deutsche Borsa. Let's have a listen to what she had to say. 
So it's interesting. I think financial services has always had a level of disruption. And, and you could go back to thinking about the shift from high touch trading to sort of the introduction of electronic trading. And, and also the transition as we've gone more to online banking and digital payments. And I think the next wave of disruption and where we're going to see technologies really having an impact in the industry is the topic of DLT. And I know DLT has been out there since 2009. There was a lot of hype and discussion around it circa 2016, but we've also seen now maturity of the technology stacks with DLT from the first generation, which was blockchain, to now much more enterprise-grade blockchain platforms that operate private permissioned blockchains that meet the needs that we have in terms of resiliency, trust, performance, in the financial services industry. And, and I see that next wave of disruption is likely going to be digitization of securities. We've for a long time had lack of standardization around securities and that's led to a lot of inefficiencies, reconciliations in financial services. And this technology, and now I think it's at the level of maturity that we need, is, you know, over the coming years, really going to transform the way that the, the market infrastructure operators work today. And I see that the legacy and how we operate is not going to go away overnight, but we'll start to see over the next five years, this emergence of a combined world between things that were more paper process, non-standardized in how they were issued uh, and managed to a digital security where we have a digital contract and, and everyone is looking and sharing it the same view and the same view of the sort of life cycle events around that security. And so, so we've been um, in partnership and, and discussions with some of what you guys have been doing with sort of VMware blockchain, looking at how you've improved the enterprise level of blockchain and have matured sort of the service offering for the industry over the last couple of years as well. Um, I'd say the other thing, and I mentioned it early on in terms of we're constantly looking at what are the disrupting technologies out there, and we're making sure that we're educating ourselves and sort of building understanding. Quantum computing is one of those that we started looking at last year and we're continuing to look at. We did a, a POC with a quantum expert consultancy company called WIOS, and, and it ran on the, the IBM quantum environment to take something that we couldn't tackle through traditional compute means, which was multidimensional operational risk scenarios. And we tested that out in quantum. And it did actually show us the capability. It's not quite there yet in terms of the accuracy that we need for that use case. But we're definitely seeing the maturity and, and also see the investment happening in quantum across broader industry as one of the next disrupting factors. And it'll give us the ability to solve problems that we couldn't do before in an efficient, timely manner. Okay, let's get into another topic now many of our guests are focusing on, and that was artificial intelligence. Louise Ostrom is the global lead of the newly formed Accenture VMware Business Group. Louise gives us a really good intro into what she sees as the positive potential and dangerous power of AI. The most exciting and scary thing about the future is AI. You can't talk about future without talking about AI. And it's not just the future, that's actually now. 
I don't know if you ever have you read the the book of Uval Noah Harari. Uh, the one's called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. That is a scary book. And it's about the future and how he is predicting uh, the future. And of course, central to all that is very much AI. So what I would say uh, as an advice, lean in on it because it's not going to go away. Utilize it the best you can. Make sure that there's so many dark spaces in there and it can be used in so many bad ways. It can also be used to attack you, to steal your customers, to mislead your customers. So you need to understand what the heck it is and make sure that you can mitigate. You can utilize it in a good way and stop to get attacked by it in the wrong way. And this is where security, of course, comes in and, and all these stuff, which, by the way, VMware is good at <laughs> with the <laughs> carbon black and all that stuff. But Fabulous. That's a great that's a great prediction and a, a book recommendation too. I'm picking these up from these podcasts. I'm not having the time to read, read them, them, but I am, I am <laughs> at least buying the books. <laughs> if there are a bookcase behind. <laughs> yeah, if, if you ever, do you ever listen to books, Audible books? Yeah, yeah. This is, from, for, first of all, there's a very good narrator in, in doing that book, um, it's just fantastic to listen to. So it's a good listening book. Right. Okay. But you won't fall asleep. You'll be oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wide open and scared. You'll think, Ugh. <laughs> uh, Fabulous. Okay. Right. Look, so now on to James Forrester, VMware's Vice President and Technical Lead for Cloud Sales. Uh, James also sees AI as a major element in his vision for the future. I think we're going to see a really interesting pivot. I don't know if it'll happen next year, this year, but at some point, it's going to be common, I think, to consume more compute resources with machine learning and AI and analytics than are running traditional applications. And I think that's going to be a huge tipping point because, of course, those machine learning models that have to get trained, you don't want to run a thousand or 10,000 CPU cores all the time to do that. You're going to spin them up very, very quickly and spin them back down again when the model is trained. Now that, I think, is, is going to really change the way that we look at these things, especially with modern apps and containers coming into the stack. So in terms of specifically how that's going to help financial services, that's going to mean that th these customers are going to need very rapid bursting capabilities to be able to take advantage of enormous amounts of compute resource for short periods of time in order to take the data that's coming out of their existing virtualized environments analyze it, and then do clever things with it for business outcomes and agility. So I think there's a great opportunity there to have really robust capabilities on both sides of that equation, long-running, efficiently-run applications alongside really fairly extreme burst capabilities that are going to complement each other perfectly. And I think that's probably going to happen in the next couple of years or so. That is a great prediction. It's one of those things, it was, it was almost Kellerman-esque, which is a new phrase I'm now going to make. <laughs> Which is when and James has done exactly the same. He said something, and I, I've actually had to visualize it and think about it. And it's like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. So, James, for you, just for you, the last time we had, not the last time we had Tom on, but the first time we had Tom on, he sort of gave a prediction. And I just sat, sat there thinking, I need to go and reboot my router. I need to change all the IP addresses. I need to change all my passwords. <laughs> and it, it wasn't quite as horrifying as that session, uh, honestly, <laughs> bit, in, in, in that sense. But um, no, no, really good, really, really good and succinctly put. All right, super. Okay, let's continue our exploration into the potential of AI with Jennifer Mannery. Jennifer's the Vice President of Global Industries Group here at VMware. 
Some would probably argue with me that this isn't as emerging as I feel it probably still is, but I think it's the incorporation of AI and machine learning into every facet of banking and financial services. I think there's been a lot of dabbling with it, and in some cases, some really good use cases put forward with it. But I think maybe it's because I love data and I love harnessing the power of it to see how it shapes interactions and, and understanding what it tells you about opportunities. But I just think there's more opportunity there not only baking it into customer interactions, but also back office operations. I think that the opportunities are big for personalizing experiences, using data to make great decisions, automating manual processes. I think the challenge is doing it responsibly because there's model risk, um, you know, bias that can be introduced through the models. So you got to be careful how you bring in things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to facilitate some of the great opportunities But I think doing it responsibly unlocks a lot of potential options for businesses, both for customer interactions and operations, back office operations. So I think there's a lot of significance to come for how that technology is implemented. Well, I completely agree. I think we'll probably still be talking about AI in 10 years' time the way we were talking about cloud 10 years ago. I think people will slowly begin to understand what it can deliver. I also think, like cloud, I don't think there's a dearth of talent that understands it yet. I don't think that talent's around yet or you know, really understand, especially when you talk about the ethics behind it. So I absolutely agree. I think that I, I still think it will be on the radar for most organizations in the next 10 years or so. I mean, it's such, a, it's such a cool utility. I mean, it's a really interesting set of utilities and technologies that you can apply to a lot of different business outcomes, right? So I think it's just um, interesting, the, the wealth of use cases you could apply it to. But doing it safely and soundly is something not to take lightly. Yeah, there's just so many dimensions to it, aren't there? With all these predictions around AI, we're definitely going to work on getting some AI experts to join us for some deeper dive conversations. Let's then close out our guest prediction segment with a view from someone who's an actual expert on this topic of reading the tea leaves, as it were, the futurologist Timon Dijon. Yeah. So if you only say, you know, the word big data or people data, customer data, people immediately go like, oh, privacy, right? So if there can be a technology where data can be used in a safe and trusted way, and I don't know if that exists yet or if a private company should hold that or, you know, a government should hold that, I think that could be a winning technology because with every new tech digital thing that's being did, there's privacy concerns, safety concerns. So if this trust thing that we've discussed, this worry, if there is a technology we can take that away, then we are going to have a winning technology. And Bitcoin, of course, tries to do a little bit of that with everything is open and then it's transparent, but then it's created by someone that we don't even know. So they're all about, oh, we're so transparent. You can see everything and it's in the book and, you know, I'll say, but where's the maker? So that could be one. And speaking of uh, cryptocurrencies, I think a trustworthy cryptocurrency made by a trustworthy, so I'm very much on trust. So Bitcoin 2.0. I think that could be a winner because all the cryptocurrencies I now hear my peers and friends and experts about, they're all these vague cryptocurrencies or it's Facebook announcing. And I, you know, I'm like, oh God, (laughs) if you were trust, you know, Facebook is at the bottom of my list. So where is the trustworthy cryptocurrency, please? Interesting. Interesting. And I think we covered it earlier, but um, you still see cash being around, right? So this isn't to replace cash. This is another thing. 
Yeah, it's and, and. Definitely. I think cash will become, as more of our money will go into cryptos, cash will become more important at the same time. So take, for example, the whole working from home. If we start working from home two days a week, if you go to the office, then the meeting with a colleague become extra special. So yeah, we will have less physical meetings, but the ones we do have, we're going to have the best coffee uh, and we're going to have the best time together. So cash will become even more of a ritual, an emotional thing. And I'd say make cash more appealing. So because we will use less of it, the times we use it, we want the coins to be like high quality and the paperwork like nice colors, great. But so don't make it cheap. I would actually upgrade our cash. Well, that that is a lot to think about. So I, um, I'd like to give you a little bit more, as it doesn't seem right that, uh, you know, we've just gone through that with our guests and we've asked them for their predictions. And, um, you yeah, know, maybe I should share some of my own. Now, that said, we'll get on with having some fun on a lightning round together with Brian in a future episode. But for now, my crystal ball and my crystal ball section goes something like this. I see the future. Really? Well, what do you have, a crystal ball? What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you got to tell me. So I'm, I'm going to abuse the privilege and I've got three areas. A today, a near term and longer term. You know, I couldn't quite work it out how to make it the ghost of podcast past, present and future. So today we'll continue to advance the newest technologies. And, and when, you know, look at the examples for ways to monetize these based on the business cases. But these aren't just run the bank expenses, but but they probably are the areas where we'd see some of the monetization. And, and, and for me, there is so much potential in 5G that we're only just scratching the surface right now. Uh, it's got the potential to be game changing way beyond 4G ever was. And, and you know, 4G supported video calling and kind of changed changed the the game there, but the potential for 5G to disrupt and enhance adjacent technologies and, and particularly how it's going to impact enterprise Wi-Fi and how all that's going to play out. I, I'm really interested to see what, what's going to happen there. Now, I know you would have expected me to have said, well, if you're talking about the today, what about doubling down on Kubernetes, the developer experience and how hybrid and multi-cloud will go from from being the rapid delivery environment when compared to enterprise IT to being cost-optimized, commoditized for regular and core workloads and all that stuff. So, yes, there's no question there's a lot of change happening here and, and loads of opportunity for everyone. But for me, if you were calling out one one key technology um, today, uh, I, think, um, I think we're only scratching the surface right now of where 5G is. So um, that's the kind of the today. So near term and probably the you know more of a change the bank area and and it needs that kind of ctb type of investment in new and game-changing technologies i think is it specifically around doing things right for people and doing things right for our people i think there's a need to invest in people in a way that makes them feel special and valued and, and not just feel like a resource or a number or a row on a spreadsheet you, you can't you can't change a conservative, stuffy, risk and control-based culture overnight, but it needs to change if financial services wants to regain its crown as the place technical talent wishes to work. And through the pandemic, you know, the industry got people working. There's no question IT did an amazing job at getting getting people working. 
but it was mostly through exploiting and, and scaling existing technologies and solutions. It, it wasn't through coming up with something new or, or really assessing the state of the art and, and understanding how that could change the game. So, so I think the time is coming to determine if, if those technologies that did the job are right for the longer term and the longer term decisions on on those future opportunities, and, and you know, so I think end user computing and edge and SD WAN and SASE, all those technologies, they could provide game changing advances in how people think about their employers and think about their employers' investments in technologies and experiences for getting the most out of them, and, and that's not about getting the most out of them because there's monitoring, control, um, observance and big brother. It's it's to do with it's far more to do with optimizing their experience, optimizing the capabilities, not having them fight the system. So making sure they can be as productive as possible in an environment that's optimized for them and suits them and, and their need at that particular time. So, so overall, I kind of think that the kind of the key word here is investment, and it's important because, you know, as you know, you know, culture fits a lot of our conversations, and and is a big differentiator in 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 a tech firm. Um, and you know, I think that investment in people, and as Basquiat talked about in that prior episode with him, um, we want to be bringing our whole self to work. We want to be maximising the value of individuals and their unique gifts and differences and not trying to squeeze everyone into into a skill or a behaviour matrix. And, and you know, it got me thinking that someone's really influenced my thinking here is Rene Cariol. Um, I, I've been fortunate to have had some time working with Rene, uh, mentoring me in the past, and he encouraged me to look for the things that I excel at rather than focusing on worrying about the things where others do better. And, and, you know, he calls this out as focusing on your spikes. Um, And for me, you know, I think as we we move to the future workforce, as we bring our whole selves to work, we need to find the things where, where we're paying for people's uniqueness, where we're paying for people's difference and where we're paying for people to do the things we really need them to do, not to fit into a bell curve and and not to be, uh, you know, right, that's great, you've got the job, now we're going to transform you into being just like everyone else. I'll put a link in our show notes um, if you want to learn more about Rene's approach. But, you know, I, I think um, that focus on the difference is a, is a differentiator in a tech firm. So finally then, and the longer term and exploring advanced technologies bit, the conversation with Alison, we talked about quantum and specifically crypto agility. And, you know, there's no question we're on the march to quantum, though, you know, hopefully we're still a little away from that quantum supremacy. But crypto has to keep up or, in fact, has to be steps ahead if we're going to stay safe and ahead of the bad guys. And, and therefore, a link back to cybersecurity topics that we already covered, I think, I think, you know, that's the area we need to be looking at, how you can plug in, plug out, change your crypto um, and for it to be quantum aware um, ahead of being quantum vulnerable. So, uh, you know, it's an area of research for us um, and, and an area of interest. So, so, you know, I'd say watch this space. We'll, we'll try and cover it some more as we make progress. So 
there you have it. Probably predictable if you've been listening to our prior episodes. But as always, you know, we'd love to have the conversation with our listeners about these and any other topic. So thanks for listening today. But we'll be back soon with more interesting, entertaining and exciting guests who will, without question, have even more thought-provoking predictions than I just had. So please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next and newest episodes. And as always, if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team or you can connect with us through LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew Owen or our podcast on Twitter at dbtbpod. And you can find our show notes at don'tbreakthebankpodcast.com. If you like our podcast and could leave us a review and comment on Apple Podcasts, that'd be really great. And if you have any ideas for future episodes or wish to appear as a future guest, please do get in touch with us. We'd welcome the conversation. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed today and we hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care.